We are doing a two-week mini-series called Like, Share, Subscribe. Kind of a fun little series that's pointing towards our fall launch on September 10th. Like, share, subscribe. Now, you know what those are, right? Those are social media action steps based on something that you enjoy, something that you can identify with. You like it, you share it, you subscribe. Now, to just illustrate the power of social media, not that we need an illustration, but this weekend we had two incredibly important events, one serious, one not serious. The serious event, of course, is uh, Hurricane Harvey, which hit very hard, Corpus Christi, Galveston, and now just hovering over Houston, which is prone to flooding, devastating the area, devastating the area. My wife's entire family is right there in the storm as we speak, and we get constant updates by social media. Um, governing officials communicate to the world through social media what to do, what not to do, very effective. Social media is kind of a lifeline for so many of us to stay connected to our family and friends, current events, uh, important events, public safety events. So social media is really a fabric that binds us together in the important things. Uh, there was also the Mayweather-McConner fight last night. Not important by any stretch of the imagination. But social media was also blowing up about that. Now, did I see it? No. Did I want to see it? Yes. I had a little dinner date. It was tons of fun. But as soon as that was over, I was on. And the fight just began when it was uh, over, and I wasn't going to spend the 100 bucks. But got online and, saw, and felt like I saw every part of it and saw clips afterward. So I was engaged. I didn't like the fact that I was that interested in the fight, um, but I was. I mean, it's an entertainment spectacle, and I want it in, right? And um, so that clearly wasn't serious. So social media over the weekend was blown up over this incredibly serious disaster, but also this entertainment spectacle, which ended up being a halfway decent fight. Um, but social media, again, is the fabric that binds us together in common experiences and shared experiences. And that's where we have significant a dialogue and sharing of ideas, no matter if it's of, of importance or insignificance. Social media is a fabric that binds us all together. Now, I want to give you a couple stats about social media. Four billion people on the earth are internet active. Four billion, about 60%. Americans now spend an average of six and a half hours a day on the internet. Two of those are on social media. Two hours a day on social media and messaging. 1.2 billion users per day on Facebook, roughly a sixth of the world's population on Facebook every day. 1.1 trillion Facebook likes, 250 billion photos uploaded on Facebook, 100 million hours of video are watched on Facebook every single day, 5 billion different videos are watched on YouTube every single day, 500 million tweets posted every day, 4.2 billion likes on Instagram every day. It is absolutely binding us together. If we see something that we think is cool, we like it. If we see something that could benefit others, we share it. If we want to be a part of, of the community, we subscribe to it. It's an instant way to embrace ideas and get those ideas out there and create community around those ideas. Now, Jesus, 2,000 years ago, didn't have the internet, didn't have Insta. Can you imagine, you know, living without those tools? He didn't have those tools, but what did he have? He had the mediums of the time, and he used those very, very well. And he, he in fact, used the, the mediums that were available to him. He used those to create an experience that we could like and share and subscribe to. And he did that very intentionally through his ministry, and we'll see that beginning today and a little more in-depth uh, next week. One of the mediums of the time of Christ was writing, writing. Now, we have the New Testament because there were those who took the time to write about the ministry of Jesus. 
And, uh, but the reality about writing is there were not too many people who were literate. So you had to be literate and you had to be of some, some means because parchment wasn't like going to Staples and buying a piece of paper. This is parchment and most poor families could not afford parchment. If you were literate, could afford parchment and wrote something down, you had challenges from there, right? Because you couldn't go to Staples and copy it. You had to really hire a scribe to copy your stuff and that was very, very expensive and very unreliable. And it wasn't transferable information. So writing was something really uh, that was set aside for people that had some means that were writing things that were extraordinarily important and had to be preserved by a whole chain of, of scribes that made sure that the transcriptions were absolutely perfect. And as a result, we have our New Testament today and our Old Testament. So writing was around the time of Christ and there were people who wrote about what Jesus did. But the medium that Jesus actually used was the medium of public speaking, public speaking. And the public speaking media was very, very common at the time of Christ. And there was four ways that people spoke publicly. The first was just open sharing in the public square. Open sharing in the public square. Now, if we went to lunch in Old Town Temecula today, and we saw in the distance somebody on a soapbox preaching, what would we immediately think? Mental illness. And if there wasn't a mental illness, there's something very wrong, 100% certain with whatever he's sharing right? It's just not commonly understood that we use that as a medium. But during the time of Christ, people were sharing publicly and openly all the time, all the time. It was very normal. It was normal, not just in Hebrew uh, culture, but also in Greek culture, as the philosophes were waxing eloquently about their understanding of the worldview on the corners of the streets, all throughout uh, Asia Minor. So it was very common. Jesus did this. Jesus also shared in the synagogues, Synagogues were just many temples all over Israel and even outside of Israel. Wherever there was a, a community of Jews, there was a synagogue. And at the time, the men would get together. Women, you know, just couldn't be in there. They had to be behind a fence and quiet. That was just a cultural norm at the time. Thankfully, we've come a very, very long way since then. But the men would get together in the synagogues, and uh, somebody would open up the scroll from the Old Testament. And they would read a passage like Jesus did in Luke chapter 4. He read a passage out of Isaiah, and then he started the discussion. Now, the discussion was kind of a bombshell. I'm the Savior being talked about in Isaiah 4. So that created all kinds of mess, right? But it's a discussion, and that happened commonly in the synagogues. We don't experience that in the West. We don't have a theology in community. Now, if this was a Jewish synagogue, I would have read a passage, and then we would have had an entire discussion in this, in this room. We don't do that anymore. We have discussions more privately and more online. But uh, we get our theology, typically we, you know, hire somebody to live a life in God's word and, and teach, and we can accept it or reject it from there. But in Jesus' time, it was sharing in, in the synagogue. There was also a sharing with followers. If somebody were to be deemed a rabbi, which meant not only did you have followers, but your followers had followers. If you had followers and your followers had followers, you would be deemed a rabbi. There was no rabbi school. There was no rabbi degree. But if you could gather followers and your followers could gather followers, you'd be a rabbi. So Jesus wasn't formally taught as a rabbi, but, be, but he had the title of a rabbi because of his followers. And so in the New Testament, you have Jesus pulling his followers aside very often and teaching very important things just to them. Jesus certainly did that as well. Then there was prophetic sharing. And prophetic sharing is something that is a tradition of the Hebrews as well. Somebody would be called by God to deliver a message to deliver God's heart to culture. Usually it was to correct something that was going terribly wrong. 
The government would be godless. The government would be oppressing. Uh, there would be idolatry, immorality, whatever it was. The apostle would, the prophets would come in and they would speak against the culture to bring in God's uh, you know, righteousness, to bring in what God would prefer. That's prophetic speaking. Jesus did all of these. He did all of these. This was the medium that he chose to communicate in. Author and professor Thomas Zenzig says this about the teaching of Jesus. For the ancient Jews, the art of speaking was not so much a matter of convincing people through logical formulas. That's the Apostle Paul. So when you read the 13 letters of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, that's logically outlining arguments to prove a point. Jesus did not teach that way. Jesus was teaching in a Hebrew way, more of a Near Eastern culture, which wasn't about logical formulas, but rather one of establishing contact with a total person, mind, heart, soul, with the listener's emotions and feelings as well as her or his intellect. Thus, the Jewish manner of speaking was more poetic than our own, filled with symbolism, figures of speech, metaphors, and exaggeration. Jesus taught like this often. And it's helpful to know that when we read the teaching of Jesus, that is more of an Eastern style. And so I'll give you just one quick example here. Jesus, in an open forum, which is the medium of the time, says this. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, is there a law that says, love your neighbor, hate your enemy? There's a law that says, love your neighbor. But what the, the religious leaders would do is they would say, hey, listen, your neighbor are the people just like you. Your neighbor... They're the Jews who obey the commandments. If there's a Jew that doesn't obey the commandments, he's your enemy. If there's a Gentile, non-Jew, he's the enemy. So they actually twisted God's commandment to say, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. So Jesus says, hey, you guys say this all the time. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Everybody's going, yeah, of course. Of course you love your neighbor and hate your enemy, right? But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And because he was in a public square, guaranteed they were within eyeshot of Roman soldiers who had invaded their territory, occupying them and oppressing them. And Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In this way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For God gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you only love those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different than anyone else? Very short teaching of Jesus, but packed with prophetic power, packed with these incredible truths about what God is bringing to the earth, unconditional love to friends and enemies alike, powerful stuff. Jesus used the medium of public speaking to get people to like, to get people to share, to get people ultimately to subscribe to what he was bringing. So what was Jesus bringing? Jesus was bringing something powerful and profound. In fact, what Jesus brought to us is very clearly expressed in his very first sermon. The very first sentence of the very first sermon says this. Jesus began to preach, repent. Now, what does repent mean? Some people say that means turn from sin. It does not mean turn from sin. It means turn around and look. Jesus says, repent, turn around and look. What are we looking at? The kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is near. Now, when we think of heaven... We might think of either the painting on the Sistine Chapel by Michelangelo, which is naked people floating around in clouds, right? The cloud floaty thing, Michelangelo's painting on the Sistine Chapel, or Looney Tunes cartoons. 
You know, the coyote falls off a cliff, his spirit comes up and he's playing a harp on a cloud. So we get our theology from the Sistine Chapel and from Looney Tunes, right? So we think it's out there and we're floating and, and that kind of stuff. That is not what Jesus was talking about. That's not even a concept in Jesus' mind. When Jesus talked about heaven, he's talking about the realm of God himself. He's talking about a new reality that we don't see here on earth, at least at the time of Christ. People did not see heaven on earth. They saw war, violence, oppression, injustice. They saw the poor and the sick marginalized. Uh, they saw loneliness and desperation. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is near. The realm of God, God's presence, God's grace, God's goodness, God's love, God's justice is coming to earth. Now, people, when they heard that, were thinking, I, I, this is foreign to me. I don't understand that. In their mind, this earth is going to just get wiped away in judgment. And Jesus says, no, the kingdom of heaven is coming to earth. So you can imagine if they had their devices, right? It's like, 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 I like this message, right? This is a good, good message. Jesus goes on to say this, Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Not only was Jesus saying the kingdom of heaven is coming to earth, but it's for the poor in spirit. At the time, the religious leader said, hey, listen, the rich are blessed of God. The, the powerful are blessed of God. The religious leaders are blessed of God. Then there's you poor and you sick who are cursed because somebody in your family sinned. That was, the, that was the experience of the time. And here comes Jesus saying, not only is the kingdom of heaven coming, but it's for the poor in spirit. For everybody who thought they were disqualified from God's blessing or God's care or God's love or eternal life, they're going, like, 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 this is for me? The kingdom of heaven is for me? Jesus goes on to say, love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. They were taught there were 6,000 commandments to be navigated. If you obeyed 6,000 religious commandments, then God would bless your life. So they're carrying this heavy burden of religious commandments. And here comes Jesus saying, the kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of heaven is for you, even if you are poor in spirit and lost and outcast. And by the way, there's one law in the kingdom of heaven. It's a law of love. The love of God received. And then we have the privilege of loving God and loving others as a lifestyle. I mean, can you imagine being unburdened from 6,000 religious laws to earn God's love in your life? Jesus says, just worry about one thing, being loved by God and then spending a lifetime loving him and loving others. Could you imagine if they had their devices like, 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 this is good, good stuff, right? But not only did Jesus give us a message to be light, he gave us a message to be shared. In John 3, 3, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. What does it mean to be born again? What did Jesus say? Turn around and look. Look at a whole new reality. A whole new reality that the kingdom of heaven, the realm of God's presence and grace and love and justice and goodness is coming to earth. You can be a part of that, right? Even if you're poor in spirit, even if you think you're disqualified, you can be a part of that incredible kingdom of God that is right here and right now. Believe in that, receive that, and you have a whole new life. A whole new life knowing that God loves you. A whole new life knowing that he sent his son to pay the price for your sin. That there is nothing that separates you from God. Not even our own failures can separate us from God. We can be born again. Not to just look at this kingdom, but to receive this kingdom. It is to be shared, embraced, and shared. 
John 3, 16 and 17. You might know this. God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. We share things because we think others could benefit. Do you think others could benefit from this? The reality that they are unencumbered by the burden of religion and commands and guilt and shame, unburdened from conditional love. You know, God loves me when I'm good. My parents love me when, I, when I'm good, right? All this conditional love. My friends love me when I'm good, but boy, when I'm struggling, I don't know if they're there for me. We live in a world of unconditional love. Could you imagine the radical change when somebody not just likes the idea of unconditional love, but embraces it and then shares that with the world? This changes everything. When we know how much God loves us unconditionally and sacrificially proven by the, the gift of the, of the Son of God on a cross to pay for our sins, to pay the penalty of our sins, that's the proof of God's love for us. It changes everything. To be loved unconditionally like that gives us the power, the strength, the ability to love others like that. That changes every relationship. It changes our home. It changes who we are as a family of faith. And love ultimately changes communities in the world. This has to be shared. It has to be shared. John chapter 3 is not uncoincidentally followed by John chapter 4. It happens that way. John 3, Jesus talks about this incredible message of God's kingdom coming, God's kingdom of love to be received. And when we receive it, we are born again, right? Whoever believes will not perish but have eternal life. This is this exciting message where everybody is welcome to participate in it. And then the test of that comes in John chapter 4. John chapter 4 is the worst case scenario testing God's love for another human being. Jesus comes alongside the woman at the well. You've heard of the woman at the well? The woman at the well is the worst case scenario. That's why that story follows John 3. John 3 talks about God's love. John 4 tests God's love to the worst case scenario. The Samaritan woman had nothing going for her. First of all, absolutely poor. In that region of Samaria, utterly poor. Second of all, she was called a half-breed, the wrong race. The Jews intermarried with the Assyrians, which created the Samaritans, and they were just considered half-breed dogs. You couldn't have their shadow fall on you or you would be declared unclean. She was poor. She was the wrong race. Frankly, she was a woman. Women at the time, women at the time were considered uh, property. Jesus flipped that by sitting alongside her and saying, can I have a drink of water from you? Broke every cultural norm. Broke the barrier between rich and poor. Broke the barrier between race. Broke the barriers between men and women. Jesus just did that for a living, and he loved it. Not only that, she would be considered among the worst sinner. Religious people would have looked at her life, five husbands, just seemingly using whatever she had, and she probably had a lot, to get guys, cast aside guys. She was living with a guy that wasn't uh, her husband. She was breaking every religious rule. She had nothing going for her. Worst case scenario, Jesus Christ, the fullness of divinity, sits alongside of her and asks her for a drink of water and says this, whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to Jesus, sir, give me this water so that I won't thirst again. She was going to all kinds of guys for all kinds of reasons. You know, if she was going to see me or safe harbor and counseling, we would go all through the family issues, right? Why are you giving yourselves to so many guys? Why do you feel the need to be approved by men 
in this way? And the answer would be because I wasn't approved at home and I, and I don't feel approved by God. And she is thirsty and she's trying to satisfy her thirst in every way imaginable. And Jesus says, calm that right down. I'm here to bring you water and you will never thirst again. Jesus offers her for free living water, eternal life, that born again experience where she knows she is loved unconditionally. Did Jesus say, hey, get your moral life together? Is that what he said? Did Jesus say, hey, straighten up your, your life here. It's, you're not living you know, according to our religious moral rules, right? Get that together and then we'll talk. Is that what he did? Did he say, hey, listen, you gotta go to some temple. You gotta go to some priest, some pastor. You gotta perform all kinds of religious services. Is that what Jesus did? He just says, if you're with me, you will never thirst again. You will know how deeply loved you are by God just as you are. And then we'll walk together in this whole new life that God has for you. Incredible, absolutely incredible. So what happened? Leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. And the town's people are going, well, that's a big list. Small town, right? <laughs> it's a big list, even though they didn't have social media. Believe me, everybody knew everything about everybody. Could this be the Christ? Is this the savior? Is this the forgiver promised by God? And they came out of the town and made their way towards Jesus. The experience of unconditional love was so powerful and so compelling and so profound that this had to be shared. She went to the town and shared. Just this last week, I had a counseling appointment with a very, very precious young lady who just came with burdens, 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 burdens. She came with a burden of her religious upbringing, a very strict, very harsh religious upbringing, all kinds of rules, commandments, expectations, never good enough, and she was told she's never good enough. She goes home and there's abusive conditions at home, never good enough, never good enough. She grows up in life never believing she's good enough for anybody, especially God. She starts coming to Rancho not too long ago and the whole world opens up. A brand new world of unconditional love. God loves you, he cherishes you just as you are with all your mess, faults, flaws, failures, sins, whatever you wanna call them, with all, all of the mistakes that we have made, we don't have to clean those up before we come to God. He says, I love you just as you are. Here is my unconditional love, proven by the gift of Jesus Christ, who invites you into a relationship with God that is unbreakable, unbroken, no matter what we do. He loves us to that extent. He's a heavenly father. He loves us. And he just wants us to enjoy that. He wants us to like that. He wants us to share that. Just get the word out of God's unconditional love for us. It changes absolutely everything. It changes everything. And it's meant to be shared. Jesus spoke 132 times in the Gospels. Of those 132 public appearances, 122 of those were in the marketplace. Jesus didn't come to just have little onesie relationships with us. He came to flood the world with God's grace, and it has to be shared. Of the 52 parables that Jesus told, 45 of them are in the context of the marketplace. This is a public movement. It's a kingdom, a new reality coming to earth of God's presence, of God's love, of God's grace, of God's goodness, of God's mercy, freely given on earth. It is to be enjoyed and liked. It is to be shared. It's to be shared. It's a message to like. It's an experience to share. A message to like, an experience to share. So how does it get practical for the, the life of Rancho? Well, we are relaunching a lot on September 10th. We are relaunching a whole wonderful new kid zone in the West Campus. 
that is absolutely worthy to like and share. We're gonna embrace the kids of this valley like never before. We've got a new high school pastor. You might've seen him, big dude. Not real funny, but a big guy. And he loves kids. And that grand opening is coming during the week of September 10th. Our middle school ministry is rocking and we are pouring a lot into the next generation. Why? Because Jesus did. Jesus had kids around him all the time, right? And he played with them and he embraced them. Since the kingdom of heaven is for them. We got a lot of good stuff going on with kids ministry. We have new service times to get a very good flow around here, a good atmosphere. And we're gonna be crossing each other in hallways. It'll be a, a great atmosphere of leaving out what it means to be thousands of friends advancing the cause of Christ. And we're not just gathering for worship experiences, we're gathered to rally around the kingdom of heaven coming to earth so that we can do things together that we can't do on our own. We have a big farm right down the road feeding this valley. That's an incredible thing that we get to do together. We have a rescue mission locally helping to lead mercy ministries and humanitarian ministries in our valley. We have multiple international ministries that are solving systemic problems in pockets of the world with education and healthcare and getting God's message out to 17 different people groups. We get to do a lot of cool stuff together, next generation stuff, getting God's message out there, justice ministries in four continents on the earth. We get to do incredible things together. It is worthy to enjoy, to like, it is worthy to share. Now my own experience here at Rancho began when I was in, I think it was seventh grade and nothing to do in town. I mean, maybe a thousand people in town, maybe a thousand people. And um, now we had bikes and horses and motorcycles. There was a lot to do. But at the time, I'm bored, right? Well, this little tiny church, the first permanent church in the valley, hired a youth pastor, their very first youth pastor. And this youth pastor, Mark Lindquist, said, I just want to have fun with our kids. And as I have fun with the kids of this valley, I'm going to teach them the Word of God. Opened up a gym in the early 70s and opened it up to youth. It wasn't the sanctuary, right? this holy place where no kids are allowed, and they just welcome kids. And I remember the day one seventh grader came up to me and said, want to go to youth group tonight? What's youth group? I don't know what youth group is. What's there such a thing as youth group? I had no idea. Well, they have a gym and play floor hockey, and there's girls. I'm in. <laughs> Went and played hockey. Bible study, we ditched. Hockey, Bible study, we ditched. About three months later, I started going to the Bible study. Why? Because they loved us. Because they played and had a good time with us, they earned the right for me to sit at a Bible study. And that's where my walk with God began. And as my walk with God began, my mom started coming around. She heard the message. She was transformed. Then my brother, then my dad, and then through us, all of my grandparents came to know the Lord. Why? One seventh grader said to me, want to go to youth group tonight? <laughs> that's it. That's it. And, and you just look at the, at the power of that one invite. This kid liked his youth group. And this kid shared his youth group. And our family was saved. So as we approach September 10th, we got some cool stuff going on. God is doing a work in and through this church. Like it, share it, whether it's online or get this, it can happen person to person. You can actually invite somebody personally that you work with or a neighbor. Hey, come join us September 10th. They've got a cool kids program out there, uh, super safe and secure and hour-long services. So they're kind of short. All right, I'm in, <laughs> right? Where do I go? Invite somebody and watch what God does in their life. Let's pray. 
God, we do thank you for your grace and goodness. Thank you for this kingdom of heaven coming to earth. I pray that we would not lose hope because of what we see in this world with suffering and hurt and wars and natural and man-made disasters. I pray that we would not lose heart but see what Jesus saw. He says, turn around and look at this new reality that is coming. The very presence of God, the power of God, the love of God, the goodness of God, the justice of God coming to earth. Thank you that we get to participate that in, in our own way, in our small corner of the world. We get to gather a bunch of people together, build relationships, friendships. We get to pour our lives into the next generation. We get to serve people and love people the way Jesus did. And we get to create a little movement uh, here in our city of the kingdom of heaven coming to earth. God, I pray that, that as we enjoy this reality, we would, we would like it. We would share it. We would get this word out. It is not meant for just us. It is meant to transform the whole world. You're a heavenly father and you love us all. You declare us your perfect sons and daughters. You proved your love by sending your son to give his life for us, to pay the penalty of our failures, to show how much you love us, then to rise again to give new and eternal life to us and to this world that you love so much. We enjoy that reality. Help us to share that reality. God, that we might bring people to a saving knowledge of your unconditional love for them. In Christ's name we pray. And everybody said, amen.